Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Dr. Mark Wilson. Dr. Mark Wilson is a prominent psychiatrist and consultant to major organizations. His book, Just Listen, ranked number one in six Amazon Kindle categories, has been translated into 14 languages and reached number one in Munich and Shanghai and became the basis of a 2010 PBS special. The Consumers Research Council three times named him one of America's top psychiatrists. For over 20 years, he has been clinical assistant professor of medicine at UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute. Golston appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, CNN, and hosted a PBS Pledge Drive special. He blogged for The Huffington Post, Psychology Today, Fast Company, and Business Insider, contributes to the Harvard Business Review, and writes a syndicated column for Biz Journals. And he's out in Los Angeles right now where he lives with his wife. Dr. Mark Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jordan. So you've made uh, you've made suicide your cause right now. Why would you make that your cause? What attracted you to care so much about this topic? Well, I was a boots-on-the-ground suicide prevention specialist for 25 years. And none of the patients I saw killed themselves. And I've been trying to figure out what it is that I did that resulted in that, and I've figured out what I did. So given the epidemic of increased suicide across all demographics, I'm taking that out in the world because as I look back at my life, there's a saying, I think, from the Talmud, or at least Schindler's List, that says, whoever saves one life saves the world. And given you can't get away from the awful violence you see in the news or suicides, it, it's something that I want to do something about. And, and I got into it. I'm a psychiatrist by training. 
And one of my early mentors really is the pioneer in the study of suicide prevention. His name was Dr. Ed Schneidman. He was at UCLA. He co-founded the Suicide Prevention Centers in Washington and LA. Those are probably the first ever. And he was the founder of the American Association of Suicidology. And what would happen is Ed would, I was at UCLA, and he would refer me still suicidal people who had to be discharged. So they weren't acutely suicidal, uh, and you can't keep them there forever. And he'd refer them to me. And I was very fortunate because since I wasn't working for an institution, when I would see these suicidal people who had made multiple attempts, I didn't have to follow a protocol. Because something that I noticed is when I was following a protocol and checking boxes, when I'd look into their eyes, the, their, their eyes would say, you're checking boxes, you have a clipboard, and I'm running out of time. So what I did is I threw away the clipboard, and I just learned to listen into people's eyes, which is what I'm teaching the world to do. Because if you can get rid of your agenda, and everybody has an agenda, and if you're with someone and you get a sense that they're not right and you look into their eyes and you just put aside your agenda and say, there's something off about you. What's going on? But you have to let go of your agenda. You can't do a bait and switch and you can't have someone open up and say, you really want to know what's going on? And if they tell you something really dark, uh, you can't do a bait and switch and say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You got any referrals for me? <laughs> and wherever I go, I just see that people are screaming out to feel heard when they're having a hard time. And you just have to notice it. It's there. And so that's what I'm teaching. That's what I'm teaching. What are some of these, these clues that can detect? Well, I think part of it is, and here's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, it's by a British psychoanalyst named Wilfred Bion, and he said, the purest form of listening is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when we listen to another person with memory, we have an old personal agenda that we're trying to plug them into. When we listen to them with desire, we have a, a new personal agenda that we're trying to plug them into or sell them into, but we're not listening to where they're coming from. We're listening to where we want to push them to go. And if you can listen without an agenda, and I talk about in my book, Just Listen, that you want to be a PAL, and a PAL stands for Purposeful Agendaless Listening. Ooh. Purposeful Agendaless Listening. And the purpose is to be of service. Um, I'm going to give you a magical tip that, uh, that I'm almost embarrassed that I've only discovered in the past year and it's changed everything. And it's the secret to being present. And I'm actually going to demonstrate it on you for our listeners. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, uh. Jordan just got uptight there. He's thinking, what am I doing with this shrink on the show? Anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm so, I'm, 
you have no idea how how happy I am to have you on the show. Number one, and just like the topic that we're talking about today, something that uh, I've not talked about on the podcast before. Not something intentionally, but this is something that so worthy of being covered. So yes, continue. Yeah, we're going to try this. You you just gave me too many hints, so I'm going to be less impressive than I would have been had you not just said that. And I'll tell you where I'm going with this. What uh, a friend of mine suggested is that when you're with people, just realize that they're always listening for something, which is different than they're listening to you. Because when they're listening to you, you can have a decent but superficial conversation. But if you can just be curious, I wonder what they're listening for, and be curious about that, and then ask about that. So here is what I'm picking up you're listening for. And tell me, if, and if it's accurate, tell me if it is, but then tell me what just went on inside you. And this is about being present. What I think you're listening for when you just said what you said is, you know, we talk about a lot of things on this podcast, and just like you, Mark, Dr. Goulston, I'm aware of all the crap that's going on in the world. Boy, is it awful. You know, I almost hate to read the news, but I rubberneck at the news just like everyone else and look at some other shooting and some just awful thing. And what I'm listening for with you is, boy, if there was a way to give our listeners something that they could use immediately today to get through to someone they're worried about, to get through to themselves if they're in a dark place, uh, to, and it needs to be relevant to them and doable by them. And so I'm listening for whether what information you give me and us is doable by regular people. Because if you because if it sounds like gobbledygook, psychobabble, I'll nod and smile respectfully, but nobody will be able to use it. And so what I'm listening for is, wow, this is a chance to really be of help to our listeners. And I got to tell you, Dr. Goldston, if we cover something and I get an email that we saved a life, it'll make my year. In fact, I did a podcast uh, with another colleague of mine, and I'll plug his podcast. His name is Dr. Michael Gervais, and he has a top podcast called Finding Mastery. And because he was interested in this topic, we and you can find it, we talked about suicide. And we got an email from a cop in New Zealand, but a week later, he sent it to Mike and me, and he said, uh, I got to thank you. Your podcast helped me save a life. You know, And he talked about being called into an emergency, and he used something that he heard on our podcast, and he said, I, I think it helped me save a life. So I don't know if any of this is accurate, Jordan, uh, but you get a sense that that's what's listening for. And if it's accurate, you're leaning... As the host of this show, that's my job. That's what I go in with every time. Something actionable for the listeners. Right, so that's exactly... And then specifically with you, it's interesting that you said 
the news. It's something I talk about that a lot. I even, I think I even posted yesterday in one of my LinkedIn posts. It just, it was a side comment. I was like, I avoid the news like the plague, uh, because it's, it tends to gravitate towards the negative, like murder, suicide, uh, everything bad, because that's what gets the reaction. Uh, you know, rightfully so that they talk about it because that's what makes it watchable. And, and then, of course, with Mark Manson on the show, episode 99, we talk about how the world is better than it's ever been, right? You look at all this innovation, even, even you know, murders are, you know, homicides are down, terrorism is way down the last 30 years. Everything's like, everything's getting better statistically, but people are more depressed than they've ever been. People are reporting feeling lonelier more often than ever. And uh, I think that's really interesting. So that is, those are exactly the type of things that I'm listening for today, yeah. So I want to run something by you and you'll either like this or you'll hate it. Um, and I don't think it'll be anywhere in between. So let me see, let me see if my prediction came true. Uh, I believe, you know, that social media and the internet, you know, is a plus minus, you know, it's allowed us to connect to things in ways we never could have dreamed of, but it's also caused people to disconnect in ways, you know, it, it, it's eviscerated emotional community and connectivity. And I think what's happened, uh, and I actually wrote a blog on this, and I think it was called Revenge of the Nerds 2.0. And I talked about how the nerds 1.0 were Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, and the nerds 2.0 are Zuckerberg, Musk, and Bezos. And basically what I talked about is that um, years ago, there were these emotions that were possible, tenderness, patience, lovemaking, compassion, but there were a bunch of nerds who couldn't relate to that. They went to Radio Shack. They love technology. And they were good people uh, without overly diagnosing. You know, they flirted with being on the spectrum. But they love technology. And technology gave them an adrenaline rush. Oh, they couldn't wait to get to Radio Shack. Uh, this is before your time, but there used to be a company called Heathkit. And 50 years ago, they'd send you stuff and you'd build a radio and it'd have all these little things you could plug in. It was great. And so what happened is those people addicted the world to adrenaline. So we've all become adrenaline junkies. And the main emotions we feel are excitement and boredom. And when I speak to high schoolers, Let's add fear and anger. So high schoolers' main emotions are excitement, boredom, fear, and anger. They don't do closeness. And so what's happened is adrenaline, and I'm, this pun is intended, adrenaline has trumped oxytocin. And oxytocin is the chemical having to do with bonding, uh, connectedness feeling felt and it's going away because it's too boring it's too slow uh, 
if someone starts to get into their feelings, you think, oh, now I'm stuck. How do I get out of this awkward conversation? Uh, and it was interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm friends with, I'm becoming close friends with a serial entrepreneur, very successful, and his 14-year-old hung himself last year. And his, and his, and you can check out his TED talk. It's by Jason Reed, R-A-I-D, and and he talks about the most important conversation you can have with your teenager. And he talks about having been on vacation with his wife and celebrating just how wonderful life was. And he got a text message from his 14-year-old son that said, "Don't blame yourself. I'm so sorry. Goodbye." And he called home screaming, and his mother-in-law was there, and and he said, "Go find Ryan." She ran around the house, she went up into the attic, and he'd hung himself. And he left two notes, one with the passwords to his computer, and the second note was, tell my story. And it wasn't just tell his personal story, it was tell my story about kids who are just locked in this dark place and they can't get out. And so he's doing a documentary. Uh, in fact, I visited with him, and there's a site called Goalcast, which is huge if you go to Goldcast. Yes, and so uh, recently the two founders came in to film him telling his story, and I was there invited to meet them. And, and that'll probably be going up in a month or two where he shares the story of his, of, uh, of his son and how it changed. That is excellent. You'll have to send that to me. Oh, yeah, and, and how it changed his life. So, uh, But the point I'm getting at is, the only thing more powerful than an adrenaline rush is how awful an adrenaline crash feels. So when you're addicted to adrenaline and you start to crash off it, you'll do anything to keep it going. And one of the reasons we like adrenaline, by the way, is adrenaline is natural Adderall. And so when you're on an adrenaline high, you're focused, you're clear, you feel powerful. Extreme athletes, most of them, they ADD, but their focus is unbelievable. And their focus is unbelievable because when they're, they're daring, extreme sports, excitement, danger, their adrenaline is just so high, but the adrenaline works like Adderall, and it keeps them focused. But then when they come off that, they get irritable. And you'll see this with a number of entrepreneurs and pedal-to-the-metal type people. And so oxytocin doesn't have a chance. And oxytocin is, is what connects us. It's a more, a more holistic pleasure, pleasure yeah, feeling, yeah, whereas adrenaline's, adrenaline's less so. You see, adrenaline is about excitement. But what we lose is joy. Uh, when you're running on adrenaline, you don't know peace. You know exhaustion. And that's what people are running on. And the, and the point is a lot of, and it's interesting, uh, what Jay and I are writing a book, which will be a parenting book that dads will read, which is quite a challenge because dads don't read this stuff. But we figured out that women who read parenting books, uh, if they try to get a man to read it, he's going to say, I, I don't read that stuff. You know, just tell me what you want to tell me. Uh, but 
what Jay and I are writing is a book about the subtitle. I won't tell you the the big title, but the subtitle is How to Thicken the Skin of Your Thin-Skinned Child. Because Because where I travel in the world and I speak in front of entrepreneurs, you may have heard of YPO, Young Presidents Organization. They brought me to Mumbai, Bangalore, and Delhi. The three YPO things brought me to the three big cities in India, and, and they brought me there. How do we talk to our teenagers? It wasn't about business. And, and so Jay and I believe that there's a lot of parents, especially the entrepreneurial adrenaline ones, if you ask them, do you have one kid who's thin-skinned, you know, takes upset really badly, everybody raises their hand. So we're going to, so our book is going to be, How Do You Develop a Thick Skin? And it's interesting, uh, Jay is entrepreneurial, so his way is, here's a solution. You want to develop a thick skin? This is what you do. But I balance his and I say, I say, here's the deal, Jay. And it really hits him right in the heart because he looks at me like, oh, why didn't we meet two years ago? I said, when someone else is in pain, their brain shuts down, literally. And it shuts down because their cortisol is high. It triggers something in their brain called an amygdala. The amygdala shunts the blood away from the prefrontal cortex into the lower brain so they can't even think. That's called an amygdala hijack. And what brings it back is oxytocin. Oxytocin is the antidote to high cortisol. And so, what the book will talk about is when someone's really stressed, you got to go into the pain with them. Keep them company there so they don't feel alone. And when you do that, they will start to cry with relief. It's not bad that you're making them cry, you're letting them cry. They will cry with relief. And don't rush them with a solution or advice that they don't want to hear because they can't hear it because their upper brain isn't working. But if you can get with them in the dark night of the soul, because what happened with my suicidal patients is when I threw away the protocol and I listened into their eyes, their eyes were just screaming out, I'm here alone, I'm running out of time, I'm scared, and I can't take it anymore. So I just learned to dive in there. And I would keep them company there, and I wouldn't give them advice or solution until they felt less alone in hell. They'd start to cry. They'd start to feel relief. They'd start, their amygdala would settle down, and they'd start to be able to think. So can you follow any of this, Jordan, or is this all gobbledygook? No, it's not all gobbledygook. I want to know how we can get back to living from this place of more holistic pleasure, this place of peace and, and being able to experience, have, uh, you know, feel oxytocin instead of adrenaline in, in this world of technology and distraction. Well, I'll give you a tip and your listeners, here's a tip. Okay. And it's not going to be such a downer, everybody. You're going to like this one. <laughs> so something I try to practice every day and I fail, uh, and someone else gave me this idea, and it's brilliant. 
every day I try, if I run into one of the invisible people in the world, and I'm not just talking about homeless, I'm talking about the cashier at McDonald's. I'm talking about the TSA agent. I'm talking about the people that we treat as a function and an appliance. And what I try to do once a day is when I'm in front of one of those people, I pause, I look at them, and I say, what made you smile today? And I did it recently. I did it a couple of days ago. I was at McDonald's and I was ordering coffee and I said it to the cashier. Now, sometimes they're so annoyed, you know, they, you know, they're in a rush. But when you say it that way and you pause, uh, she looked at me and she, uh, and she looked at me and she said, uh, uh, my little girl. And when she said it, she smiled. So she got a second taste of something she enjoyed. She suddenly went from appliance to being a person. She smiled at me with huge gratitude. And, and my gift to myself is I got to drop my narcissism for 10 seconds. Yes. I got to actually care about another person and it couldn't do anything for me. And, and I got to make the world a little bit better. So it was a win-win all around. And so that's a tip, you know, without going into the dark place, uh, uh, if you're listening, do it for a week and report back to Jordan. It'll change your life. That made me smile just hearing that. And I, I think it's such a great indicator of someone's character, you know, how you treat those people, right? Those, those functions, um, you know, because... You and I both know the people that aren't the same out in the real world, off the record, as they are on camera. When you said drop your, drop your narcissism, you get to drop your narcissism for 10 seconds. I was like, wow. And that is such a, an actionable way to feel oxytocin when you make someone else smile. I mean, I couldn't think of a better way to do it other than like hugging someone. <laughs> Mutual, of course, but I am going to adopt that, Mark. That's fantastic. I want to talk about your documentary that I watched the whole thing and it's about an hour and 12 minutes on YouTube. It's free and you can get it. You can, you can watch it. I highly recommend you watch it. It's very moving and powerful. It's at stayalivevideo.com or jordanparis.com slash alive. It'll be embedded there. So whatever's whatever's easiest, uh, easiest for the listener to remember, highly recommend that documentary. So the, the story that the, that the gentleman shared in there thought was incredibly powerful too. I won't spoil too much of that, but it was very descriptive. Left me wondering though, is it, is it normal to be depressed? I put out a tweet and I said, which do you think is truer? Empathy is for wusses. Lack of empathy is for a-holes. Because the world looks at too often now, the transactional world is that doesn't have time for empathy or compassion, kind of poo-poos it as that's for wusses. I don't have time for that. And, and yet, when you lack empathy, you're dangerous. You know, because you treat people as objects. And, uh, and so your question was, I just blocked on it. 
is depression normal? It seems like a lot of people suffer from this. It's like, a, it's like, is it part of the human condition? I, I, I don't know. Well, I think, look, I've flirted with depression. I was going to do a, a Facebook page called Flirting with Depression. So I've flirted with depression my whole life. Haven't gone over the deep end. But I think it's given me an understanding of other people when they're depressed. And because of that, not just understanding, but an empathic connection, so that when I'm with people, they don't feel like I've, I'm just checking boxes. They feel less alone. And when they feel less alone, they feel better. So I think, I think if you have empathy in you, I don't know that, because uh, I'm really not depressed now, but I think you got to be sad and touched by the human condition. I heard a great quote uh, that said, the measure of a civilization is how it treats people who have hurt it and who are hurting in it. And I remember a story about Abraham Lincoln that I kind of relate to. Uh, apparently, Abraham Lincoln was going from one city to another city, and he passed a horse that was stuck in a ditch. And he rode past it about a half a mile, and then he turned around, brought his whole entourage back to the horse. And his entourage said, why'd you do that? And Abraham Lincoln said, because I couldn't get the pain of the horse out of my head. So, uh, that's part of what drives me, by the way, as I get older and I look out. Uh, uh, and, and I'm not morbid. I just, you know, I see pain and I think I have some way to address it and get other people to be able to help it. And, and that's very uplifting to me, you know, getting uh, Mike Gervais and I receiving that letter from that cop in New Zealand that, that made our day that we may have helped someone save a life. So it's, it's, you know, it's very uplifting and satisfying. You know, that said, it's sad sort of stuff. Uh, but is there more depression? I think there's more depression because there's less oxytocin. Because the more alone you are and the less you f feel felt in your aloneness, the more depressed you get. And as the world loses the desire, the skills, the steps to being empathic, more and more people are going to feel depressed. And if you think about it, when someone's depressed, when a teenager is depressed and tells their parents, they freak their parents out, and their parents throw solutions. Keep busy. Exercise. Now, that helps distract you. And if you do those things, you know, uh, you know, you're very fortunate. It can maybe keep you from being depressed. But I can tell you, if it feels like you're running away from something in activity, when you get into your 40s and 50s, you can't outrun it. And, and see, that's why I believe uh, if we can teach people to connect with each other inside each other's pain so that you pair with another person who gets where you're coming from and you feel less alone, you feel relief, your amygdala settles down, 
your blood flow goes up to your upper brain and you can start thinking, that's that's what I'm going to do. In fact, if people go to my LinkedIn profile, uh, you'll see it. And I'm sticking with it, although it probably won't bring me business, but my LinkedIn profile says scaling compassion, humanizing the workplace and the world one conversation at a time. So I'm here to try and give people tips and have a conversation that will open people up. We gave you an upbeat one just saying, what made you smile today? That That's that's a doable conversation. You know, and I have other tips, you know, if uh, you want to wade into it. Uh, there's something I actually came up with called uh, targeted interventional empathy. So I'm sure your listening audience has heard of CRISPR. CRISPR goes into genes fixes them. So targeted interventional empathy goes into the hopelessness inside the dark night of the soul and touches that point with pinpointed love and accurate empathy and compassion. And when you do that, that part of the dark night of the soul starts to cry with relief. And one of the tools of targeted interventional empathy, and if you watched uh, stay alive, you'll see that I did it with the main character. And I, and I said to him, the seven words. I said, hey, try on these seven words. And this is what it would look like, by the way, if you're listening and you want to reach someone who's in a dark place. Uh, if they're talking to you, you can give them suggestions, but if they kind of nod from the neck up and they smile politely, it's not going in. They're just being polite. If you want to really get through this is what you do. Uh, and, and here's what the script looks like, by the way. Here's how to be a great friend or family member. You're with someone, you let go of your agenda for a nanosecond, and you, and you become what I call a first-class noticer. So noticing is different than looking, watching, and seeing. When you notice someone, you're connected. Like I just noticed you smiled and you went, hmm, and, you, and, you, and what I noticed is you liked the sound of that and the feel of that, being a first-class noticer. I could see it on your face. And so I noticed that. And so if you can let go of trying to get ahead in the world and you notice that someone's just not right, it's a friend, and you, and you say to them, something's off. And they might be a little bit self-conscious. What do you mean? Something's just not right with you. What's going on? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, I don't buy it. What's going on? Um, and by the way, my this friend of mine, Jay Reed, he gave me this great insight about kids. He said, you know, when you ask your kid, because teenagers don't talk, how's it going? If they say, great, it's probably good. But if they say, I'm fine, they're not. <laughs> I'm fine. That's they're, so true. Yeah. yeah. They're not. Uh, they don't want to talk about it, but they need to talk about it. But what happens is you say, oh, okay. You just back off and you leave them saying they're fine, but not feeling they're fine. So that's what you do with a friend. You know, you, you, you get them talking and you focus on emotional words because you want to open them up more. And if they say uh, horrible, awful, disappointed, you say, say more about the disappointed. Say more about the horrible. And you're there to open them up. 
not to tell them, it'll be fine, just go out and exercise. And they open up about that. And then here's where the seven words come in. And you say, I'm going to try something that I actually heard on this great show with Jordan Paris, and he had this crazy psychiatrist on. Uh, and it's called the seven words. And they're going to say, what? And you say, yeah, yeah. So you're opening them up a little bit. And then when you say the words, you have to say it not in your AM podcast voice. You have to say it in your NPR voice because you're inviting them to feel the words. And you say it just like this. Uh, Jordan, seven words. Hurt, afraid, angry, ashamed, alone, lonely, tired. Pick one. And when, if you can remember the documentary, when I did it with the person I interviewed, and when I do it with people who are very depressed, they will often smile, which he did with relief, and he said, all of them. And so what you do is you keep them talking. How bad is, they pick one. Angry. Tell me about angry at its worst in the last week. And here's a magical thing that happens. When they tell you about when they were angry at its worst, and you push them for details, when you can see it through your eyes, what they're talking about, they refeel the experience. But when they refeel it, they're not alone in it. They're with you. And so they're refeeling how angry they were at 2.30 in the morning, but they're not alone. And because they're not alone, pacing around their bedroom, you know, hitting their pillow with their fist, but they're not alone and they're feeling felt by you, they start to cry. And when they start to cry, they start to relax. And, uh, and when they start to relax, um, if you were to say to them the next day, what made you smile? They're going to say that conversation we had. So there's much more to this and people can contact me and you, you know, you'll throw up some places where people can find me if they want. But, but are you sort of getting the idea from this? Uh, I hope this isn't really depressing the hell out of you, Jordan. Absolutely. No, this is, this is great. This is what I wanted to talk about. This is why I wanted to have you on. And I want to talk about, though, our last thing. Uh, if you're feeling depressed and hopeless and, and lonely and tired and you're just laying in bed feeling all that stuff and, and that those are the feelings that you have, what, what are some things that you can do right away to flip the script? Um, something I'd say oxytocin, right? Like mm -hmm. making, someone, making, making someone else smile, right? What else? Something I've recently learned about is Google has forums, tons of forums. You could, and you could look up Google forum depression, Google forum loneliness, whatever it is. And see, when you go into a setting in which instead of being ashamed of how you're feeling, you're not alone, you get a burst of oxytocin. Now, there'll be some people who say, I don't want to hear about other people's problems. I'm already down, you know, and, 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 and when people say that, 
it's really not true. What it is, is they're feeling really brittle and nervous. I'm afraid that if I go somewhere and I hear someone negative, it's just going to bring me down. But what happens is the opposite happens. Um, in fact, I'll share an anecdote with you. There's someone I know, and he said, uh, I don't work, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and my wife works. So, I try to feel okay of that, but in the world of being a man, I'm pretty worthless, because I'm a stay-at-home dad. And he said, I go to a support group for parents whose kids have been sick. And I went the other day, and one of the other dads was there and said, geez, I'm feeling really down because my son's been in the hospital for two weeks. So the person I'm speaking about is not just a stay-at-home dad. He reaches across, touches the other man on his shoulder, and says, uh, I understand my three-year-old was in the hospital for over a year. And he said, the other guy's shoulder relaxed, and the man who was telling me this just started to cry with relief. And he said, I haven't felt that worthwhile in I don't know how long. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Mark Golston, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I acknowledge you for the work that you're doing and teaching others at this stage of your life and, and passing on your knowledge and just helping people and making people smile and uh, showing people how to live uh, this whole and have this holistic joy that is oxytocin. So, Mark, thank you so much. You're welcome. I was going to do a T-shirt called Oxytocin Rocks, but it's a, it's a, it doesn't it doesn't fit. <laughs> Adrenaline rocks, not oxytocin. oh, it's too big. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, people can find you. Again, I highly recommend they watch the documentary. You can get it at jordanparis.com slash alive or stayalivevideo.com, markgulston.com, your book, Just Listen, very popular book. And uh, yeah, I think that about covers it, Mark, right? Yeah. Well, I also have a couple podcasts and I'm going to have you on because uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to open you up, Jordan. So I have, a, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call where I interview people. Uh, about what matters most to you in life. And it can't be about being master of the universe. It can't be about making more sales. I'm not against that, but there's enough other podcasts about how to, you know, grow your business. And, and then I say, tell me the story that led to that mattering so much to you and, and share wake up calls that weren't pleasant, but boy, they really taught you what was important in life. So I launched with Larry King, and then I fell with a fellow named Norman Lear, who was an icon in the TV business. He, he, he changed television. I've interviewed people like Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD-40, Doug Conant, the former CEO of, of a Campbell Soup. Uh, uh, had a great interview with Esther Wojcicki, I think. Uh, one of her daughters is the CEO of YouTube. And the other daughter is the CEO of 23andMe. Uh, and she has a book about how to raise successful people. And she was great. And some other dynamic uh, women as well. But what, what they all talk about, and it's interesting, whenever they start talking and pitching what, what their company does, I stop them. Uh, and I say, uh, 
And when they come up with something like, well, I had this struggle when I was, like, like Doug Conant, one of my favorites. If you look up Doug Conant, he's one of the top 50 respected CEOs and he has a great leadership program. And, and we started talking about leadership and he said, well, early on in my life, I was an introvert and I struggled with that. And then he started talking about leadership. And so I give people a little leash to talk about their thing and then I just stop them. I say, Doug, 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 uh, uh, yeah, people can find out all about that. Go to his website, you'll find that out. But talk about your struggle as an introvert. And we spent the whole podcast talking about what it was like to be a painful introvert. And uh, and it was and it was much more personal. And he was very grateful. I mean, he said, you know, you took the podcast where it needed to go. And so they're all like that. And. Uh, so I hope listeners will check that out, my wake-up call. And I have a new one called Stay Alive. And it's a real service, but it's really starting to depress me because uh, I'll share stories recently of parents whose kids have uh, died by suicide, and they need to share the story. They want to share the story. And I'm there so that they feel felt. But when I'm feeling what they're feeling, it's tough. But I'm, I'm determined to do it. Some very meaningful work. Well, thank you. Thank you. My wake-up call and stay alive, and I know people will definitely listen to it if I'm on, but the, uh, the one with the, uh, I forget I forget the, the lady's name, who who raised the two wildly successful uh, CEOs. Yeah, Esther Warshiki. Yeah, that, that one's really intriguing to me. I'm going to have to make that my listening for the rest of the day. Well, Dr. Mark Goulston, you are the man. Thank you very much. Well, you make me want to be a better man, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc., on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.